got your Bibles, let's go ahead and start by opening them up to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. You're like, wow, we're going right into Revelation today. This is good. Okay. So if, if you know a little bit about the book of Revelation, you know that this is a prophetic book. This was a prophetic vision that was given to the apostle John when he was on the island of Patmos. It's the last book in the Bible. This book, once it was given, the scriptures were sealed up. And this is what the end of what we know is canon to be in the Holy Word of God. And so what John is getting here in, in the backdrop, the setting of this, is he's getting a vision into heaven. He's peering into the throne room of heaven. And what we're about to read is a picture of what he sees. So Revelation chapter 5, verse 11. It says, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. It's a lot of people, okay? And saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and as such as are in the sea, all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. So what is, what is the point in me opening with this verse? I want you to see something. I want you to see it really clear. That this picture of heaven, of what it's going to be like, is a picture that we see where throughout all of eternity, throughout all of the era, that we will be in heaven worshiping and praising God and declaring His goodness that He is due. We are all created to be worshipers. There will be this sense in, in heaven where it'll be just consistent, constant praise and glory that is being given to the Father. It'll be uninterrupted, undefiled, untainted by any element of sin or brokenness that exists here in this world. And so we see this picture of eternity, and we see this picture of all of creation, everything that God has created, is glorifying Him and praising Him. It's important because you get a picture to realize that this is a part of what you're created for. And you and I and all who go to be with God in heaven after we leave this earth, that is a part of what our fulfillment of our purpose and destiny looks like is that we're praising, worshiping, and bringing glory and honor to the King of kings and Lord of lords throughout all of eternity. And that says a lot about what we aim to do here in this life. If that's part of what we're created for, and we see that as a picture of what we'll be doing for all of eternity, then we recognize that as we seek to live out God's purpose for our lives here on this earth, 
that we are also becoming more and more worshipers of God and declaring His goodness, His glory, His greatness throughout the days that we're walking here on this earth. In fact, let me put it this way. It's part of you being able to fulfill your God-given purpose in its fullness is becoming in this life the worshiper that you're in fact created to be. Are you with me? And so I think, first of all, what we need to do is we have to understand or maybe kind of remove any myth or wrong view of what worship really is. All right, let me tell you this. Worship is infinitely more than just sitting here and singing songs and singing words. That it, Worship is far greater than that. It's much deeper than that. It's wider, broader. It's way beyond just sitting and singing words when we're joining together in song. That's part of, that's like an expression of worship, but worship is far more than that. Worship is, it's like the spontaneous overflow. It's like the bubbling up and bubbling out of the joy and the thanks and the gratitude that we have for our Heavenly Father, for who He is, what He's done for us, and what we're continuing to recognize in our world as we live each day, the evidence of His goodness and His glory in our lives and all around us. It's, it's when you walk outside and you look at a sunset and you think, glory to God, that's beautiful. That's worship. That's worship. Because you're praising God. There's an overflow of something you're recognizing in your spirit that is accrediting to the goodness and the greatness and the majesty of God, and you are giving expression to what you are seeing and recognizing. When you're reading the Word of God and you're studying the Scriptures and God gives you revelation and you're like, glory to God, that was good, right? You hear me say stuff like that a lot. It's because there's something that's happened on the inside that's just sparked and that's just erupted and then it's being given an expression. It's like the overflow of joy and of praise that's in our spirit coming out of our lips and we happen to call that worship. Are you with me? And so this attitude of praise and this lifestyle of worship is something that we are all created to walk in and live in. And when we look at the Bible, I'm going to talk to the men, you know, I know if you're like me, you look at these scriptures and you see stories of men in the Old Testament that were real warriors and you just, there's a, there's a respect there. You know, you look at somebody like David who killed a lion, killed a bear, killed the giant Goliath. Samson being able to slaughter what thousand plus men at one time. Like you see these warriors, you think, man, like that's a man, you know, like that's a guy that was really masculine, you know. But listen, you have to recognize that behind all of those great men, those warriors, truly was a worshiper. Someone that was after the heart of God who knew how to get in the presence of God and worship him. And that was a key part of them walking in the strength and the warrior-like nature that they were created for. Are you with me so far? And so uh, I want to show you, first of all, a story. You guys remember Solomon, right? And Solomon was known to be the wisest and the richest man who ever lived. God said to him, he said, there's never, gonna be a there's never been a king like you, and there'll never be a king 
like you afterward. So he was the wisest and the richest king that's ever been known throughout all of time. And Solomon, in order to lead in his wisdom and be able to lead the people uh, effectively, there's something that he was able to do that was a key part, and it was something that he recognized his father, David, who was a true warrior, was able to do and knew how to do, that Solomon petitioned God whenever he became king to help him to understand and know how to walk in. So if you have your Bibles, go to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. And here is, I guess, so much of what my heart that I aim to encourage us with today, and especially dads, especially men, that the greatest thing that you can do for your generation, for your heritage, for your lineage, for your children, for your family, the greatest thing that you can do is to demonstrate for them what it means to be a worshiper, what it looks like to worship God and to give Him glory and to lead from that kind of a place of strength in your life. Because I think that this, when we look at the Bible, this is what real strength actually looks like. And as, especially as men, I think a lot of times we can be uh, deceived by the enemy into thinking that you know, a worshiper, someone that praises God, someone that's on his knees before God, it's almost like it's a sign of weakness, you know, or uh, we're afraid of what other people might think of us if, if we're kind of humbling ourselves in that way and we're vulnerable and we're worshiping and praising God with full abandonment. Like, what does that look like? That doesn't look like a man who is strong. And listen, you have to hear me. This is a great lie that Satan would want you to believe. He wants nothing more than to muzzle your lips and to silence the praise and the worshiper that God has created you to be so that you're not giving glory to God and honor to God in a full abandoned kind of way, the way that we see these men in the Bible did that led to the kind of strength that they were able to lead from. So listen to this. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5 is where we're going to start. Solomon is talking to God, and the Lord's talking to Solomon. It says here, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am still a little child. Listen to this. This is it right here. I do not know how to go out or come in. Remember that phrase. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen a great people too numerous to be numbered or counted. So what is Solomon saying? He's saying, look, I'm still just a young man. I'm immature. Uh, this is a huge thing that, that I'm stepping into, my destiny to lead the people. There are numerous. There's, there's enemies out there. This is a huge, tall order, God. And, and so I'm asking you, uh, my father David, he knew how to do something, and he knew how to do it very well. 
And, and I'm asking you, Lord, that you would help me to know how to do this thing that my father David knew how to do, which was to go out and to come in. So what does that mean? What does that phrase mean, going out and coming in? I want to show you a few other scriptures because this, this phrase is throughout the Bible. But listen to this, and we're going we're gonna to put this all together. First of all, in Numbers chapter 27, Moses is praying, and he's asking God to appoint a successor for him that will be able to lead the people after he's gone as effectively as he has. So in verse 15, the 27th chapter of Numbers, Moses spoke to the Lord saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. Now again, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 1 and 2, Moses is getting ready to sign off. He's getting ready to go up on the mountain and die, and Joshua's going to lead the people over the Jordan into the promised land. Moses isn't going to get to see that. This is like his retirement speech. This is what he says. Moses went out and spoke these words to all of Israel. He said to them, I am 120 years old today. That's a pretty good run, isn't it? Good for him. Still climbing mountains at 120. Pretty cool. I can no longer, get this, go out and come in. And also the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross over the Jordan. And then the last place I want to show this to you, it's other places, but Joshua chapter 14, verses 10 and 11, and this is Caleb now speaking about uh, how he is advanced in years and he's still strong. Let's just go to verse 11, actually. He says, as yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, He's 85 years old when he's saying this. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and coming in. You see, going out and coming in was a military term. It described how that when the leader would lead the people out into battle, they would leave the camp, they would leave the barracks, they would leave the cities where they were, and they would lead them out into the battlefields, they would go out and have war, and then they would come back in from war. And when they came back in, this is what's so important that you have to understand, when they came back in from battle, there was something very specific that they came back in to do. Do you know what it was? They went to the temple and they worshiped. They worshiped. If they had just lost a battle, they came and they repented and they worshiped God and they sought his divine wisdom on what had happened and why they lost and where to go. If they had won the battle, they came back in and they worshiped God and they gave him glory and honor and praised his name and celebrated the victory for him. If they were in middle of battle and they were wore out, they came back in and they went to the temple and they worshiped and they got refreshed. So the key here is that in order to go out and to do war and to be victorious, there had to be a point where they had went in and worshiped so that they could sit in, in the presence of God. Because when we worship God, when we praise him, his presence surrounds us, engulfs us, 
and it, and it refreshes us and strengthens us for what it is that God is calling us to do. You can't go out if you haven't been in. Are you with me? They were sitting in the presence of God. The Bible says that uh, God inhabits the praises of his people, which means to actually inhabit or to dwell in. So when we praise and worship God with a sincere heart, like it's not just words, but it's the, it's the spirit in us that's coming out praising him, God's presence literally fills that atmosphere. It surrounds us, it refreshes us, and it strengthens us. And Solomon said, he said, look, my, my father David, he knew how to do this, and he knew how to do it well, because he was a worshiper as a youth. That was the reason why God said, I'm going to send Samuel to go anoint a different king than Saul because this young man is a man after my own heart. He is a worshiper. And that's the same young man that killed the bear and killed the lion and went on to kill Goliath. You see a warrior, but you also need to see a worshiper. Because there's a reason why a little ruddy boy can look at a nine-foot-something-tall giant of a man and say to him with great boldness and confidence and faith, you come at me with a spear and a javelin and a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the defender of Israel, and I will strike you down this day and take your head, and the Lord will deliver the carcasses of the Philistines into our hand, and the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth will feast on their flesh this day. That's how a little boy can say something so warrior-like and then actually go out and see that thing happen because he was already a worshiper before he was a warrior. Are you with me? And so they knew how to come in and get in the presence of God and to be refreshed and to be strengthened so that they could go out and be strong to be victorious in battle. But you have to realize something, okay? When they came in and they came into the presence of God, they didn't leave and go out from the presence of God. They went with the presence of God. Are you with me? When you come in here on a Sunday and we worship together and we sit in the presence of God and we're refreshed and we're strengthened, I hope you know that when you leave, you're not going out from the presence of God. You're going and meant to go with the presence of God. And when you wake up Monday or Tuesday or any other day of the week, you don't need to be sitting there thinking, I can't wait till Sunday so I can get back in that building and get in the presence of God again and get strengthened. You need to be saying, thank God for this day. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad. He has given me a purpose and a destiny and begin to declare his goodness and worship him. And I'm telling you, you will enter into his presence that very moment because he inhabits the praises of his people. And you will be refreshed and strengthened and ready for that battle, for that war that you're heading out to fight. Wars are won by worshipers. If it's not proven again and again in the Old Testament, I don't know how else to show it to you. Wars are won by worshipers. And Solomon said, my father David knew how to do this. Lord, help me. I'm just a young man. Help me to know how to go out and come in that I may be able to lead the people effectively. And he modeled what David had modeled for him. Isn't that something? And so Solomon, he, he recognized that David uh, was, 
a worshiper and that this was the key to him moving in the strength and the power that he did as a warrior. But listen, you got to know that for David, this thing didn't come without a cost. Like David was a worshiper with full abandonment. He was a worshiper that did it in a way where he didn't care what anybody else thought about him because he wasn't doing it for anyone else. He was doing it for an audience of one. And this is what we have to get, men especially, that we can't care what the world thinks. We can't care what people around us with a worldview would assume that if we are worshiping and and praising God with our lives and with the way we live, we can't care what the world thinks or how they look upon that. Because really, that's what true strength looks like. That's where true strength comes from. And you see this story in, in the Bible with David, where he, the Ark of the Covenant was brought into Jerusalem, brought back. And David, it says that he was so ecstatic, giving God such praise, that he was leaping and whirling all about. Imagine that. I mean, he was literally like just leaping and dancing and doing these twirls. I guess he was like good at ballet and stuff too. But he was doing all these moves. It says he was wearing a linen ephod, which means he wasn't wearing like all of the normal king-like attire. He was just wearing a, a, a short little robe. And so he was dancing and praising God. And his wife at the time, Michal, who was the daughter of Saul that was given to him as a reward for killing Goliath, Michal you know, she's the hot girl, right? She starts making fun of him. That's, that's tough, right, guys? The hot girl making fun of you. You've never been there back in high school? I mean, that's, oh my gosh, no, right? That's a hard deal. That's what's happening. She's like, you, the king, you were so undignified today. You removed your garments and you were dancing and whirling about in front of all of the maidservants. You just made an absolute fool of yourself. I'm paraphrasing. That's kind of how it went. And he says, Woman, I'll tell you this. That's not exactly how it went, but it's something like that. Yeah, he says, I'll tell you this. What you saw me do today, I was doing for the Lord. And he is the one who's appointed me as king and ruler over Israel instead of your father, Saul. I will give him the praise and the glory that he is due. And I'll tell you something more. You'll see me get even more undignified than that when I begin to praise the Lord with my lips and with the way that I serve and live for him. He wasn't afraid of what anybody said. The hot girl made fun of him in front of all the other hot girls and he didn't even care about it. That ought to say something to you, right? Look, yeah, a worshiper is worshiping for an audience of one. We can't be worried or afraid or mindful of what everybody else is thinking about us. That won't allow us to worship with the full heart of abandonment that God is looking for, that he is seeking and searching for in us, which, which, is, so, which is so counterintuitive to the world. It's that in that great place of humility and vulnerability that the actual true greatest strength that God gives is found. Warriors are birthed from their knees. They're empowered from a place of humility, serving and worshiping God for how good he is. And then you see them rise up and become strong and go out and slay enemies that no man could do with his physical strength. Isn't that something? And so David saw, he had this opportunity. But then we see here, listen to this in 1 Samuel chapter 18, 
It says in verse 12, Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made his captain over a thousand. Listen to this. And he went out, this is David, went out and came in before the people. You see that? He's leading them out and he's coming in to worship. And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all of Israel and Judah loved David, get this, because he went out and came in before them. Because he went out and came in before them. He was modeling what worship looks like. And he was doing it from a sincere heart. And because of that, he ascended into some of the greatest places of strength and influence and power that any man has ever known or ever seen. But he was a worshiper before he was a warrior. And we have to understand that. And you see that it says Saul was afraid of David because God was with him. Let me, let me put it to you like this. God, his spirit, and his presence was on David because David was a worshiper and was in the presence of God. God's spirit left Saul. So he was now influenced by an evil spirit. Saul was afraid of David. The evil that was influencing Saul was terrified and afraid of the God that was on David. Are you with me? Imagine you get into the presence of God, worshiping him every day, giving him glory and honor in multiple ways that that can look. And the presence of God is so strong on you that everywhere you go, wherever evil lurks about, it is trembling and terrified at the strength of the presence of God that's on your life wherever you go. Isn't that amazing? See, the, Saul was afraid. He backed away. He was scared of David. The enemy sees this power and this strength of God that's on you, and he's terrified of what that means for him when you're walking in that kind of power and presence that the Lord provides. That's the way we're called to live, guys. Like when Jesus did what he did on the cross, he gave us the opportunity to become heirs with him, to stand in that same place of authority where the enemy is under our feet. That's what the Bible says, that we're the head and not the tail. We are above and not beneath. And so the enemy, and even in the garden, God said to Satan, he said that man, the son of man, his, the bottom of his foot will bruise the top of your head. That's where he belongs. And in order to walk with that kind of strength and authority, we have to be worshiping God so that we stay in his presence and that we come out refreshed and strengthened and ready for all the battles that are lying ahead. Amen? Who's with me so far? So worshipers before warriors. Now listen to this. In 2 Kings... Chapter, or I'm sorry, Second Chronicles chapter 9, a famous woman comes to visit Solomon. Her name is the Queen of Sheba. Well, that's not her name. She's the Queen of Sheba. So she comes to visit Solomon, and she comes from a far-off place in the east. 
And she comes because she's heard of the great wealth, the great fame, the great wisdom of this man, Solomon. And she, she has to see for herself. Now, the Queen of Sheba, she's very wealthy, and she's known to be very wise herself. In fact, in the east where she comes from was a place where they actually worshipped wealth and wisdom. They loved riddles and proverbs and all of those kinds of things. And so it says that she's coming to see Solomon, to visit and see the man for herself. And she brings this whole entourage of uh, troops and of gold and of wealth and of riches and of spices and things that nobody had ever even seen in this part of the world. They, she brought things. So she had a, quite an entourage with her coming to see what all of this talk about Solomon is. And listen to what her whole motive is behind this. In Second uh, Chronicles chapter 9, verse 1. So when the queen of Sheba had heard of the fame of Solomon... She came to Jerusalem to test Solomon with hard sayings, having a very great retinue, camels that bore spices, gold in abundance, precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So you you see what it says. She came to Jerusalem to test Solomon. You see, she was trying to trip him up. She was trying to kind of disprove the wisest man, kind of trying to one-up him, if you will. That's what she came to do, was to stump him with riddles or to somehow, you know, make him appear not to be what he was all cracked up to be. And now listen to what happens. She ought to have known better, right? I mean, come on. And and verse 2, so Solomon answered all of her questions. There was nothing so difficult for Solomon that he could not explain it to her. So the wisdom of God was in full availability the entire time. Verse 3, And when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, the cupbearers and their apparel, all of this excellence, right, and this order behind the king. And then listen to this. And his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her, no more argument in her. Literally means it took her breath away. Now think about this. What's an entryway? The entryway, in another version, it says staircase. It was the physical steps that led up to the temple where Solomon would go to worship and get in the presence of God. Hallelujah. She's the queen of Sheba. She's seen all this grandeur, all this wise sayings, all these people in this order. And she looks and she sees what she came to see and didn't even know it. She sees the staircase that Solomon walks up to go into the temple in the house of God to worship and praise him and get in his presence and come out refreshed and strengthened, and all of a sudden, she knows exactly what she came to see. It says it took her breath away. There was nothing left in her. She had no more riddles. She had no more puzzles, and she had no more desire to try to stump the famous and wisest and richest man of the world. 
because she saw now it wasn't about him. It was about the God that he served. She went on to glorify God and declare that truly your God is the God of Israel and that his power is upon you. Can you imagine our enemies, the battles that we're facing, when people look on us and they see a man, a woman, who knows how to go into the presence of God through sincere worship to be able to be refreshed and to be strengthened by simply glorifying and honoring God, which he is already due and worthy of to begin with. But when the enemy can't muzzle our lips anymore and the praise and the worship comes forth like a floodgate every day that opens up from the inside and spills out and the presence of God surrounds our lives and we literally live in that place every single day. That's what she saw and that's what changed the game for her. And then she went back where she came from. Wow. Solomon said, my father David, Lord, he knew how to do something. He knew how to go out and he knew how to come in. And I'm asking you to give me wisdom, give me discernment and help me know how to do that. Because if I can go into your presence and be with you all the time then everything I need, I will have. And it's interesting because the Bible even says that God was so pleased with his answer and so pleased with what he wanted that he said, I'm, I'm going to give you all of the riches and all of the wisdom and all of the strength because you've asked for a thing like this, that it's not for yourself, but it's for those that you lead and for those that you serve. It was a pure, unselfish heart that was one that was glorifying God and seeking to lead his people effectively. It was no personal motive or endeavor in it whatsoever. And that led to him becoming the greatest king who has ever lived. Amen? Let me close with this. Ezekiel 46. You remember how I've talked to you for the last number of weeks in this series about how there's Old Testament events and things that happened like physically that are foreshadows and symbols of things that would be fulfilled in and through Christ spiritually and would be, a full, would be kind of fulfilled at an even greater level. Well, listen, this is one of them. In Ezekiel chapter 46, verse 9, this is what it reads. When the people of the land come before the Lord on the appointed feast days, whoever enters by way of the north gate to worship shall go out by way of the south gate. And whoever enters by way of the south gate shall go out by way of the north gate. He shall not return by way of the gate through which he came, but shall go out through the opposite gate. What's that all about? There's this ordinance. God sets this thing up where when they would come to the temple on these appointed feast days and that they would come to worship... He says, whatever door you come in, you make sure you leave through a different door. You're not going out the same way that you came in. Coming in, going out. Isn't that interesting? This is what it means. This is the spiritual fulfillment of that. When we enter into the presence of God through our true, heartfelt, fervent worship, and we enter into the presence of God, you will never come out the same way you came in. You will always be changed. The presence of God will always refresh you. 
will always strengthen you and will always empower you for greater things that are still yet ahead. We have to know how to live like worshipers. We have to know how to go in and how to come out. And let me just say, in closing today, men, fathers, dads, leaders of our generation, if there is anything that we can offer to those who are being raised up in our time, if there's anything that we can exemplify or that we can demonstrate to show what true strength and to be able to walk in the true power of God looks like, it's to show our children and our children's children what a true worshiper really is. You saw what David did. You saw what Solomon did. You saw what all these men did. We would all say those were men. They were strong men. I mean, have you killed a bear? Have you killed a lion? Have you killed a nine-foot-tall giant? No. And those men were worshipers before they were warriors. Let us learn from that lesson today. Amen. Stand to your feet with me, please.